Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning and happy Friday, November the 24th. Um, Black Friday, if you're listening live, but I'm very pleased to say I have not bought anything yet. I've managed to not look on any shopping sites. I've not opened any of the emails that are spamming me about Black Friday deals. Uh, so yeah, I wonder if you also are resisting the urge to uh, <laughs> panic buy on Black Friday. Uh, and I think I have Cyber Monday next week. But yeah, very, ex- very excited and proud to say that I have not been panic buying Black Friday stuff yet. Although if you're listening live, it's only 11am. And there is still time for me to buy stuff I don't need but I'm definitely going to try and resist and luckily we've got the next hour locked in here on Teachers Talk Radio with two amazing guests uh, which will give me another hour to not be panic buying on Black Friday (laughs) so let's get uh, started because I just I'm so excited we have got two powerful strong women and mums here to talk to us today um You might hear, listeners, that I do sound a bit full of cold. If you do want to send virtual chicken soup, that would be very much appreciated. Um, But as these two women who are joining me today will know, we have to show up even when we are not feeling our best, even when we're full of cold and feeling sorry for ourselves, like me. We have to show up. What else is there but to show up and get on with things um, but I will make make sure there's some time for some self-care later after the show. But showing up is what it's all about. And if you're here listening live, welcome. We are going to be talking about SEND, special educational needs and disabilities, and very delighted to have two women who are going to share some of their stories, their journeys, and hopefully help inspire us on how to better support parents and carers of children with SEND but also how to support each other as well and for any of you who are teachers listening to consider how we can better support the children in our classrooms whether that's primary secondary college or higher education because again SEND doesn't just stop when a child turns 18 as um, we'll be talking about today so how can we continue to ensure that we are all supported and supporting each other as we go forward. But without further ado, let's welcome our guests. So a very good morning to Beth and Marie. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. I'm so excited. Uh, I haven't had two guests on for a while, so this may be mayhem and madness today. (laughs) Mayhem and madness is what we do best. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, that that is us. (laughs) The table twins, mayhem and complete madness. But hey, we're here, so let's do that. You're here, you're here. And this is the kind of energy that I'm going to need today, ladies, to get me through. So, <laughs> um, so to anyone uh, listening, you may already be great fans of Beth and Marie and the advocacy that they do for SEND. Very um, active on Twitter. They do amazing stuff with Twitter spaces. And I had the great pleasure of joining their Twitter space um, the other week, which Wow, it was it was just so wholesome. Can I just say a big thank you to you both? It was so wholesome, considering it was about seven o'clock in the evening. (laughs) Wow. So let's let's talk about you. Let's introduce yourselves. And then I have got a list of questions, but I'm happy if pretty much you two just want to talk for the next hour. Um, Let's just crack on. So let's take Marie first. Marie, um, can you maybe please introduce yourself? Tell us 
you know, briefly a bit about you. I know we'll unpick your journey as we go through and then we'll come over to you, Beth. So, Marie, over to you first. Okay, so gosh, where do I start? I guess by saying I'm Marie. I'm known as Send Warrior Mom, making a difference on Twitter. That's only been really the last two years. Um, our journey started really when I noticed um, that my son was behaving differently as a, a baby, a young child. Looking back, he was always reaching milestones, um, and but differently in a different way. So, um, yeah, he was always he was always very very different. Um, you know, he was kind of diagnosed at three years old with autism. Latterly became autism ADHD, autism with the demand avoidant feature and PDA. But obviously, that's not not in the medical books, so everybody refers to it. But they they class it as demand avoidant features. Severe anxiety, trauma, and tics. Um, he was diagnosed at three years old. He's now twenty, so I've been in the system. I say an awful long time, too long actually. Um, and it's been a battle right from the very start when I look back. So um, we went to the doctors, or I went to the doctors when I noticed that Zach was very, very different. Um, he, the doctor told me I was, I was absolutely off my head, there's nothing wrong, um, to adopt super nanny tactics and get on with it. Um, you know, that was worrying because it could have gone one or two ways. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could have gone away where I thought, if I was one of the mums that just wanted validation that there was nothing wrong, um, you know, he could have missed out on really valuable support, which is absolutely needed for the last 20 years to get him through. And even with heavy support, you know, he still struggles. Um, so I went, well, I can remember actually saying to the doctor, don't, don't, don't treat me like that. You know, he, he actually turned around Poppy and said to me, well, if there was a touch of autism there, it's not like I can give you a pill for it. Um, wow, you know, that's like helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and you know, he might have got away with it with the average mum, but I can remember turning around to him and saying, a pill, no, wasn't expecting a pill. A bit of guidance, a bit of advice, a point in the right direction would have been fantastic. Um, but I can see him in the wrong place, so I'm not going to bother you anymore, but you know, whatever you do, just don't address me like I'm an absolute fool because I'm not, unfortunately, for you. Um, and I can remember going home and sobbing, um, feeling completely lost and not really knowing which way to turn. I knew nothing about disabilities. Um, I'd had a 20-year career span, um, really quite prevalent um, position within the telecommunications arena. And it was just a shock. Um, you know, it turned my life upside down overnight, really. Um, so yeah, and I guess that's where the start, very start of our battle started and it's kind of continued, um, albeit different types of battles because Zach's in the high need brackets and he's the type of child that's never fitted anywhere. And when I say never fitted anywhere, he's never fitted into mainstream. Some classes were better than others. Some schools were better than others, depending on the, you know, the way they communicated mm -hmm. um, with us um, and tried to understand. Some teachers just automatically got it. And I can remember thinking to myself, well, you've just bought him another year in mainstream. But, you know, it shouldn't really have been a lottery, should it? Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, we, we tried everything, special schools, independent government funded specialist autistic schools. Nobody could meet his needs. 
and it, it eventually when he was 14 ended up where he just couldn't cope with life um he and and i guess this is another point that that people probably um need to be aware of particularly parents and also actually you know educational staff because i i started to notice differences in zach um you know he was starting to get more anxious and then all of a sudden overnight the anxiety really kicked in he was being sick at school oh um, gosh you know and then he confessed to me that he said mom there's something i've got to tell you on the way home from school one day uh, and that was um and I know it's law that children have to go to school and I don't want to get you into trouble. So I've just been looking at ways to not be here anymore. And, you know, at that, I just pulled into a lay-by. We both sobbed together. Oh. Um, yeah. And, you know, that was kind of five years ago and I still struggle now. There's still a massive lump in my throat. Um, and I knew I'd just got to think of something different because we'd exhausted the traditional education routes um so i literally went home tried to think on my feet i researched something called a personal educational budget mm -hmm. which a lot of people haven't really heard of you know children can have them you can request them um if they you know you've exhausted every avenue as we had because you know they do need an education so i kind of set to and applied for one of those um, and I guess that's where our journey changed and kind of grew again um, because I was wanting to um, really do everything that he'd been missing when he was in a, a setting where they, they weren't meeting his needs. And I have to say, I wrote a business plan out and we he had everything that was in his EHC for the very first time. Um, I, you know, it's been hard work. I would advocate for people to say, yeah, go out and get one. But if you are at the end of the road and you're really struggling, mm -hmm. um, it is it is an option that is out there. It's incredibly hard work, but it suited Zach. And we've been able to open up channels into work experience. Um, and by networking and really um, reaching out to companies and working Zach's education around special interests, we've really flown with it. Um, so, you know, just kind of following on very quickly from that, because obviously Zach had had years out of school in between all of these different placements, yeah, wow. right in the local authorities all of the time. And actually, if you don't advocate really hard for your children, um, know the law and speak out, then they just get left behind. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, to cut a long story short, um, we've had to battle to keep the budget. Um, our local authority are not very kind to us. Um, and we've had nothing for the last over two years now. So I've been self-funding, I've carried on with the EHC. We've carried on doing the work experience, getting the exposure around, around Zach's electricity, um, fascination. He's loved electricity pylons since he was three years old. I used to draw them. That was my kind of first, I suppose, um, where I first noticed. I didn't realise what it meant at the time. He was just absolutely obsessed with drawing these pylons. There was one on a page and, you know, at least 60 pages a day. Wow. The very first sign of Zach's special interest. And we've tapped into it now. I've had the flexibility to do that. 
and is currently on a work placement with National Grid. Um, and, you know, wow. that's kind of taking some doing as well because, you know, it hasn't got the entry levels. He, he hasn't, he won't remotely do anything educational. But Poppy, you know, is at PhD level and, and wow. he can, you know, he's got that much to give. They're absolutely astounded with him. Incredible. And, um, you know, so it, it, it's been a battle, battle, battle. And I have to say, he would have fallen off the edge of the cliff had I not have advocated so hard, reached out and tapped into Zach's special interests. So, you know, we now campaign together. We want to make a difference. You know, we speak on different panels and raise awareness wherever we can because we don't want anybody to feel like we felt. So that's me and that's Zach um, in a nutshell. Um, yeah. Gosh. Thank, thank you, Marie. I did. I got goosebumps at the end as well, just hearing how that came full circle. And I know we'll come back. Like, thank you for setting that out. We can maybe come back and pick up some bits of this. But just to, the core cool message there, you know, about how parents and carers want to be advocates. And I think surely most of them do. But it's so true what you're saying that actually they don't always know where to look for help or what all of these things are. You know, lots of these plans and things yeah. you mentioned that they might not know about. And and that's why I just love how you and Beth are supporting people, spreading the knowledge. And yeah, that's really why I wanted to get you on today, because I just think you're both amazing. So let, let's park that, Marie. That's amazing. Thank you. And Beth, if you're happy, if we can jump over to you and if you're happy to kind of lay out your story for us, please. Yep. Um, I have three children. My eldest was born when I was quite young. Um, she's 22. Um horrendous pregnancy from start to finish but nothing was identified as being any kind of issues um but as soon as she was born there was it was very clear that she had um some serious health conditions she had uh hyperinsulinemic hypoglycemia so kind of the opposite of diabetes where she needed the glucose and had too much insulin so she was taken straight to special care and spent three months there before she came home um, she has a condition called Turner syndrome, but she also has, the, that's rare enough in itself, but she also has over 20 other health conditions that she shouldn't have alongside Turner syndrome. So she's very, very sort of rare and unique in her own sort of right, which has always got us quite a lot of very targeted and helpful support. So I didn't always see sort of the, the, the struggles that, are, that I can see now because along came my second child who's now 14 and she's autistic um, with anxiety disorder and uh, now with po uh, long COVID health complications. Um, and that's when I've seen the difference between having physical disability and the, the hidden disabilities is, is so massive. Um, I've also got a five-year-old who's just a normal crazy little five-year-old. He's more like a <laughs> five-year-old, actually. He just loves life. <laughs> and the, the difference between sort of like my girl's journey in schools to his journey in school is just absolutely phenomenal. He loves it. He goes in every day with a big fat smile on his face. He goes skipping in. And it's just, you know, it, it's such a balm to my soul, having been the parent that's had to drag your kids kicking and screaming going into school and they hate it and they don't want to be away from you and they just you know so seeing him just being like yeah bye mum I'm off <laughs> is, yeah. is really lovely um and so uh maybe about I think probably about 15 years ago I started sort of helping other parents um just to when I started in, with, with my eldest Rebecca 
I had no idea where to turn to at all. And so when I kind of had the knowledge that I did after I had my middle one, it was just a no-brainer to actually help other people who were, you know, just naturally coming up and we were going to support groups and saying, but how do I do that? And, you know, where do I even start? So uh, that then quickly sort of transpired into sort of working with schools with the parents because it's a unique perspective I'm not coming in with any kind of emotional attachment to the child or the school it's purely for just to see that the child's getting the right identified and targeted support sort of thing and it just most of the time it just works to see you know this is the picture from the child's perspective and it moves forward um and, and it's it's nice for the parent to feel that somebody has their back because it doesn't always happen when things break down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's I think probably from my perspective, I have chronic health needs myself and disabilities, um, and I'm also neurodiverse. So I think I have a, a bit of a, a sort of better understanding of, of sort of what's going on for my kids. And when I say my kids, I mean sort of the kids that I support as well as my own kids, because once I'm there supporting you, that's it, you may, you mind. Whether you like it or not, that's it, you mind. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's pretty much a sort of rundown of me of, of where I've got to where I am now. But it's, wow. I, I see improvements from, you know, 20 years ago. I definitely, I think that's what keeps me going because there's, there is definitely more sort of services and schools and what have you that definitely get it and want to get it even more than what we had sort of 20 years ago. People want the knowledge now. Um, and that's definitely the biggest difference that sort of keeps me going, keeps the fire in my belly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I guess, it, yeah, that fire is important, isn't it? Because I imagine you've come up against some hurdles and I can't believe long COVID thrown into the mix on top of everything yeah. that you mentioned you're already dealing with my goodness me well you sound amazing incredible busy mum of three thank you so much Beth for setting that out that's wonderful um wow so listeners you can see we're in for a treat we've got <laughs> still another 40 minutes together with um with Beth and Marie so if you do have any questions if you're listening live uh if you're on Podbean you can type questions into the chat I can see lots of you are listening live through the website unfortunately we don't have a chat option there but jump on Podbean come and ask some questions um and we can put them to Marie and Beth um but I I guess it's been interesting hearing how schools have or haven't worked for you and as a lot of our listeners are teachers I wondered if we could maybe touch a bit more on that maybe about um you know that partnership with parents or finding the right school or or making the decision particularly for Marie you were making the decision to to not school you know to unschool and then for you Beth how finding the right school has been key I don't know if one of you wants to jump in on you know how parents actually take control of making those decisions I think for me, it's about the uh, being the right environment. So my middle one has been out of education since February. She went to a mainstream secondary school with a low coin centre, which is, and I don't know that we have them across the UK, but in Surrey, it's a communication interaction needs centre for um, children with autism. And for the first few months, it did appear to be that it worked, but very quickly it fell apart. And she just, for the last 12 months, even she was unable to access the class. The support just wasn't there. The understanding wasn't there. And I think it comes, wasn't from the lack of trying from several other teachers in the school. It's, you know, for me, it was coming from the governors, the chair of governors, because they just kept refusing to put in the training that was so badly needed because, you know, they'd only had 30 minutes whole school send training. And with the best well of intentions, you're not going to understand a child with autism and anxiety with that kind of um, input sort of thing. And so, uh, 
we kept working together and just trying to get it right and unpick it and unpick it and unpick it. And again, similar to Zach, um, she turned around after one holiday and just said, you know, I would rather be dead than go back there. And I've been looking at ways to do wow. that that don't hurt. And I mean, it's it, it still makes my voice shake because it's just like such a scary, awful thing to go through as a parent and to help your child. But the, our local authority did step up there for her because instantly it was an emergency annual review and the case officer absolutely stood her ground no you're not getting more funding you're not meeting the needs this child needs to go back to panel and get a specialist placement unfortunately <laughs> the problem is that there is such a lack of she's not educationally that far behind she has obviously not accessed education for a significant period she was also at home during shielding for 18 months with us um so she's missed significant chunks of education, but if she had the right environment, she's done a taster week at a specialist independent. It's one of the Cavendish schools and oh my goodness me, I could have cried just literally even the first day seeing her when she came out, she was absolutely buzzing. She had made, she, she had friends, the, the whole friend group and the, the whole class were all on a, a chat for, for about three hours that night. And I was just sitting there thinking, she's never had that she's never ever had the opportunity to have that kind of those kind of friendships and relationships and interactions and it's just the fact that you know it's things like that it's a first name basis except for the head teacher uh, and the deputy head teacher because they're mr and mrs um but it's first name basis it's 45 minute classes they can leave if they need to there's no pressure to to speak to somebody will sort of touch base and thumbs up thumbs down you if you thumbs down they'll come back in five minutes it's so low-key there's wow. not sort of strict uniform there's not and it's just even the adults are i mean i love the fact that when we went in the deputy head has bright pink hair and several piercings and drives a motorbike and yeah you know, that, that instantly yeah that instantly for, for my daughter was just like wow how can you be so cool and be in a school <laughs> you know she, she just instantly was so relaxed even just the first day we looked around it and i thought this is how it's done for the kids that yeah, you know but it's it's such a difference but i think looking around these places definitely don't go with just on paper go in and have a look and see how it works because although our children are all sort of we have they have similar diagnosis but they're all absolutely individual at their core they all still they don't they may share certain traits or whatever but uh -huh. their own individual personalities absolutely designs what they will need in a setting wonderful wow and yeah i love that like a head teacher as well showing that that need for authenticity like just because you have pink hair and piercings doesn't mean you're any less of a leader or an educator like that's what our children need to see isn't it like relatable real people um and i think that's the problem sometimes we see in, in some schools they're being run like almost like a corporate business and actually lose sight of what it is to be human and, and make those connections. So, wow, just so happy to hear that that really good outcome for you, Beth. That's fantastic. Yeah, we're um, just waiting to get a placement agreed now. So they, they've agreed they can meet needs and they've offered her a place. So fingers crossed in the very near future, she will be back in a school, which is something in February I never thought I would see, if I'm honest. So I'm so wow. pleased for her. Yeah, so pleased for her. Well, me and all the listeners, we have our fingers crossed for you, Beth. So <laughs> please keep us updated. <laughs> that is wonderful. I'll, keep, I'll keep my eyes peeled on socials to see how that pans out. But that sounds really promising. Um, so great to see, you know, how they can move back into education but um I know your son's a bit older now Marie but could you maybe tell us how how that decision worked with taking your son out of school was that met with 
support from schools or kind of what was your journey like? Uh, in a word, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, no, nobody, re nobody really got it. Um, you know, and even though it was a specialist independent school, he was still expected to fit in. Um, you know, and looking at the, the processes that they had. And I think the final straw was the fact that when it was coming up to a year change, um, I'd gone in three months before to say, okay, last year he struggled. So this year, can we, can we, you know, prepare him better? Can we um, let him know what teacher he's going to have? And they just decide and can we, you know, kind of minimize the, the changes because, you know, is is, is automatism is, is so prevalent. And um and they, they, they did basically nothing right until the last minute and then said they were changing the classroom, the teacher, the TA, the occupational therapist and the speech and language therapist. And it was kind of, you know, well, that would blow anybody's mind. Wow. Um, and, you know, it, he was already having a tough time by this stage um, and they were still proceeding with, well, you know, we've allocated this OT now, um, so it doesn't really matter how much she's going to clash or whatever. I think the word was inflexibility, really. And um, and then, obviously, um, the, you know, they wanted to keep him. I, I think the problem is sometimes, Poppy, that... And I think this is, can be a big problem, is that schools can sometimes almost feel it as it take it as if it's a personal failure and it really isn't it's just that sometimes our children don't fit into that particular setting um you know we're all on the same side um and, yeah. and we all want our children to thrive and parents are the experts on their own children um, you know we have to be to get them through yeah and so no it, it wasn't that um really from from the school perspective it, it was almost like we'll try and get him back in at some stage, um, you know, but once you've hit that suicidal ideation, it's, it's, you know, it, it's not, that's not going to happen. I think he was so traumatized and the trauma built right from infant school, you know, where he wasn't allowed to sausages, right from reasonable adjustments. Um, you know, he was punished. He was the only child who got his spellings right. Um, for, three years 15 out of 15s and you're talking you know as an eight-year-old professionalism and tricky one successfully and his writing was just getting bigger and bigger and there was no compromise and i think it's so important that you know we do meet these needs and we put the reasonable adjustments in and and you know we kind of work around that so i think for me it was trauma building over a period of time um for, for various different reasons. I think the local authority were quite happy to give us a personal budget for the first 12 months because it was going to save them money because it was in the high needs um, funding bracket. And um, the second year I had to fight, fight, fight for it. And, you know, I've had to fight ever since um, because it's almost sometimes like they can't, can't seem to grasp the idea that children probably need something different to thrive um they like kind of seem to like the safe space um but you know he's, he was never achieving anything in any of those settings he never really achieved hardly anything at oh all gosh. and but you know with the personal budget he did alternative english from basic to advanced he learned how to program excel spreadsheets 
he passed his driving test. Wow. You know, Costain have supported us for the last five years. We're, we've been all over the country to different projects. He's learned how to deal in a meeting situation. And he's probably had an awful lot more exposure and experience to adult life. Um, it's a shame they didn't keep on with the budget. Um, and it's a shame we haven't been supportive for the last couple of years because I firmly believe that if he would have been doing as well as he was then before they withdrew the funding, okay. he would now be walking into a, a permanent position um, of employment because he his life skills would have continued to improve. He would have continued, you know, he's, he's gone back to being socially isolated. And if it isn't for me and you know, going to the work experiences and companies reaching out. Yeah. It, it is virtually in solitary confinement, um, which is not acceptable on any level. So my the sad bit for me is the fact that I wish they would look at us and celebrate what we've achieved and how we've done things differently. Because actually, you know, this can be replicated for other children. And, you know, Zach's journey has enabled me to meet people like you and Beth. You know, we're setting up the community interest company to try and, you know, grow this for other children to create opportunities, you know, to advocate, to support, to educate. There's an awful lot of work to be done. And I guess, so if anything's come out of our battle being so negative, <laughs> is the fact that we've done things differently and we've educated an awful lot of people and we're changing the way business people look at these young people yeah i've even had one company say you know i've suggested we should be going into schools and colleges because actually zach had got this sort of information five years ago so actually why are they sat in a in an educational setting where it's creating anxiety they're having panic attacks why aren't they placed on a training course with the yeah. special interest where they're going to flourish you know, it's about celebrating the strengths, isn't it? Celebrating the differences. Um, yes. And, and, I, and I think particularly, as well, sorry there, sorry, Marie, but just to say, and for any of you who don't follow Marie and Beth, by the way, follow them both, find us on Twitter on the tags, but um, Marie was sharing with me, and it re it's really incredible. There's that photo of Zach from 2012, um, you know, a young boy with a photo of a pylon on, I think, his tablet that he's holding, Marie. Do you know the photo yes, I'm talking do, about? Yeah. Um, and and that's a photo of him. And then now what I've seen on your Twitter, like him climbing the pylon on his work experience last year. Um, that's what it's about. What you what you're saying about we need more maybe apprenticeships and those practical programs, particularly when we see children with autism who become hyper fixated on particular um, areas, you know, really passionate about particular areas. And just to see with Zach how he is flourishing and thriving due to that passion for pylons like where is you know where are schools able to do that well they don't have the funding do they to do that to pick exactly. out every child's individual interests but I mean yeah anyone who's not following Marie and Beth come and follow them because you will just be blown away by these journeys and I think that's that's really what is at the heart of it but schools don't have the funding to do that and like that's exactly what you're saying that's why we need these external companies to provide those opportunities isn't it yeah absolutely and i have to say you know our journey started with one man um from costain because that's other passion is managed motorways is excellent on those too 
And, you know, our journey, I guess, started. And, and again, it was overcoming the adversity because it was a careers day. School rang me up and said, oh, you know, he's not going to be interested in it. You know, you know we'd like to give him the day off. and We won't be able to manage his behaviour. And I said, well, can I come? And I'm glad I did because actually at that career day um, was Richard Paddy and Costain and, and nobody was interested in the civil engineering side of things. But Zach actually asked them a question they couldn't answer. And they said, well, well, we'll go away and, you know, we'll research it and we'll get back to you. I think he was eight possibly nine at the time. Um, and they did come back to us and gave us, us an open-ended visit. And I gave that to various wow. different settings and no, nobody took him. But when Zach hit that dark time, I literally picked up the phone because I was thinking I need to do something nice. So I picked up the phone and I rang the head office of Costain at Maidenhead and said, does Richard Paddy still work for you, Chris Hyde? Um, and they said, yeah, I'll pop you through to his mobile. And, and, and actually they thought that I was Zach's teacher. They didn't realize I was his mum at the time. Oh, wow. And they, yeah. And they, they built this open-ended visit. They said, I'm sorry to hear that he's going through this. You know, we've never known a kid with such a passion. Of course, we're going to help you. And that said company of, you know, and Richard has kept this going. And he's enabled us to penetrate so many more businesses by introducing us to tier, their tier two people. You know, and then one of the tier two people got us into the electricity transmission that enabled us to penetrate kelp brain, Balfour Beta, where I was climbing pylons, and National Grid. Um, Morrison's Energy have also, um, which are one of Grid's customers, have also offered Zach a work placement because they see the value. So it's about showcasing and advocating, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and if parents can't do it, then we need to put something in place where people can open these doors. They can deal with this and people can reach out we people reach out to us all the time saying you know i've got a child in my class they're a bit different they're usually the ones that have got the demand avoidant profile because they're the trickiest to manage and you know looking back everything that i was being taught was was actually feeding fueling the fire i was being taught wrong looking back they need a completely different management style that's non-directive and you know low arousal and and everything else that goes with that so you know, Beth and I, we do feel really passionate about it. Um, we've met some amazing people and, you know, we're really looking forward to where the next 12 months takes us to be able to grow it and just make it better because we don't want anybody else to feel like we felt, socially isolated mm -hmm. at home, thinking it was us. And, you know, these kids are, are, are our entrepreneurs of the future. Not, not all of them, you know, but the ones who do have the special interests who could potentially do it then we need to be back in them don't we definitely oh my gosh it's such such passionate and inspiring words thank you Marie. i don't want to go to the news i want to keep talking but i know my producer's waiting for me to go to the news now so you two grab yourself a fresh drink listeners make another cup of tea uh, we're going to jump to the news we'll be back in eight minutes when i'll be asking marie and beth more about uh, maybe some advice for trainee teachers as they're preparing to work with children with uh, special needs and i'll also be asking you both how you take care of yourselves as being busy mums and carers so don't go away we'll be back in eight minutes time this show is brought to you in partnership with john cat educational publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit JohnCatBookshop.com.
www.ipsoft.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back, and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials, and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. School summer holidays are often a hot topic, but they made the news again in The Guardian as leaders in Wales appear to be considering changes. According to reports, Wales's minority Labour administration wants to shrink summer breaks from six weeks to five and eventually reduce it to four weeks. The plan would see the time added to half-term breaks in October and May. The proposal would equalise the length of terms and break the connection with Easter, by fixing the timing of the spring break regardless of when the religious festival falls. The newspaper says the plans follow research by the government which suggests that parents struggle to organise and pay for childcare over the summer. Plaid Cymru, which supports the proposal, said in a statement that the current calendar was outdated as it was designed a long time ago and that some families find the summer break very long and impacting negatively on their well-being. However, the article also points out that evidence of the harm to learning from school holidays is unclear, as much of the evidence comes from the United States, where summer holidays can be up to 12 weeks long rather than the six to seven weeks in the UK. John Hattie, Professor of Education at the University of Melbourne, said the effects from school holidays are very small and there is little reason to believe that the length of the school year has much effect at all. A study from 2019 that looked at pupils from primary schools in an area of high deprivation in Scotland and England found no effect on reading skills. In Northern Ireland, schools typically have eight weeks off in the summer, but generally have results in exams that are better than those in England or Wales. However, a 2022 study did find evidence of worsening mental health in some age groups over long summer breaks. Surveys done in Wales found 60% of parents said they were quite happy with the school year as it is. 
In 2013, then Education Secretary Michael Gove gave schools in England the power to choose the timing of holidays, but most schools kept the six weeks. The BBC News website reports on the Beyond Ofsted inquiry. The inquiry is chaired by former schools minister Lord Knight and is funded by the National Education Union. The report from the inquiry recommends that schools should instead be responsible for their own improvement plans. Ofsted has responded by repeating its previous statement that inspections are needed to ensure a high quality education. The inquiry said that Ofsted was now seen by many as toxic and not fit for purpose and in need of major reform. The removal of single word judgments was also recommended and this echoed another report on school improvement released earlier by the Institute for Public Policy Research which also called for narrative-style judgments rather than single words. The Beyond Ofsted inquiry recommended stopping Ofsted from having direct contact with schools, and instead schools should draw up their own improvement plans, which would make them accountable to parents and the wider local community. Lord Knight, speaking to the BBC, said Ofsted created a culture of fear in our schools. His report also said that Ofsted had become under-resourced for the high-stakes job expected of it. A spokesperson for Ofsted said 9 out of 10 schools say inspections helped them to improve. In related news, the current Chief Inspector of Schools, Amanda Spielman, has written in her final annual report about parents being increasingly willing to challenge school rules in England. She described the unwritten contract between home and school as fractured and that it will take time to repair. The report is broadly positive but draws attention to a shift in behaviour, attendance and attitudes to education since the pandemic, describing it as leaving a troublesome legacy. Full details of her comments can be found across media outlets. Teach First has celebrated its 20th anniversary with three former Prime Ministers praising the charity's work in tackling education inequalities. According to Teach First's own website newsfeed, the charity has recruited more than 16,000 teachers to work in disadvantaged areas across England. Teach First CEO Russell Horby reaffirmed the charity's mission to help Britain's most disadvantaged children to achieve their full potential. Finally, student immigration data has been released, with Home Secretary James Cleverly stating the biggest drivers of immigration to the UK are students and healthcare workers. He further commented that this was testament to our world-leading university sector. According to data, Indian nationals account for over one quarter of all sponsored study grants, followed by Chinese nationals. The education sector relies heavily on students applying to UK universities for significant funding. But there is also political pressure to reduce net immigration. Any plans to make changes to the current system will be monitored carefully. Although for now, the focus remains on illegal migration rather than legal routes. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. 
Well, welcome back, everybody. You're here on the Friday morning break with me, Poppy Gibson, and my two amazing guests and passionate SEND advocates, Beth and Marie. Um, we've—I can't believe we've only got about 15 minutes left, which is horrible because I feel like <laughs> we'll have to get Marie and Beth back maybe on a second show in the future because there's still so much more to talk about. Um, but I know we've got lots of uh, teachers listening. I can see I've got some of my students listening. Welcome, my trainee teachers. So let's jump in with the next question. And I wonder, uh, maybe Beth, if you want to go first. Um, for any teachers listening or trainee teachers that are about to start their journeys, what kind of advice would you give them as a mum of children with SEND? What advice would you give those teachers really about supporting children assessing the children in their care or you know what what's kind of your your words of wisdom for them please I think my biggest sort of thing is working in partnership with the parents is definitely the biggest thing that you can do to empower the child um, mm -hmm. the child being able to see that you know these questions are being asked and, and that actually the parents perspective is being put across as well as the child's because I think too often, again, it touches back on it being personal. Um, and for each individual child, if you if you know that they have some needs that are going to need a different approach to them, then it's really important to ask the parent things like, you know, what's what's worked at home? What's worked when it comes to navigating tricky situations? What are the triggers? Because what works for one autistic child or ADHD child or whatever the need is, doesn't necessarily work for another. Um, the one thing that I think works for the majority of all children, really, without even additional needs, is a low arousal approach. I would love to see that being sort of brought in across the board because I just think it is such a vital way of sort of communicating. And I think it's 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 about making the connections with the child first and getting them on a side to building a relationship and you can't build a relationship with them until you have that connection so maybe yeah. trying to find where the connection could be and then work on that and there is lots of um and I, I, I would bet that most parents if you ask them you know okay i can see that they have some sensory needs but what do i need to pay attention to the, the parent would go and find you some free resources or free training or free whatever i've done it myself for for several teachers and senkos that have reached out saying you know the school are refusing to put any kind of support or training in place but if you flag it to me i'll do it in my own time and so mm -hmm. i've gone and found you know different sort of resources and this it makes such a difference because it's things that aren't really sort of touched on at all in teacher training and yet there is no classroom across the UK that will have you know a full class of neurotypical kids with no additional needs at all so if and a lot of the support actually that you would implement for your neurodiverse children would actually support neurotypical children as well because it's just a, a you know that that low level approach and putting the needs of the children it just it's a it's a relaxed atmosphere isn't it it's a more relaxed mm -hmm. atmosphere and if you're more relaxed then you're more willing to be learning definitely and i love that and i love what you said there beth as well about actually it's not just about thinking about those children with scnd but actually 
how could some of those things help all of them and one example one of my students Molly told me um we were talking actually we were talking about supporting children with SCND and um most of my students were going to be teachers and Molly told me she'd been into school where um you know we might see that like you say those sensory toys can be really helpful for children who are fidgety like with ADHD like a stress ball but um Molly was saying that every single desk in the class had a stress ball attached to it on a string so every child and actually yeah why should not every child you know it's going to help the children who need it but actually it might help all children engage so we can also learn can't we from the way that we support our children with SEND to actually Definitely. support all the children but as well things, but like, even things like the um the, the, we went to a few one school placement and they had mandatory um brain breaks mandatory movement breaks and mandatory zones of regulation not just for the children but for the staff as well wow. and that was just really nice to see because i thought you know it is about everybody in the classroom and it should be what works for everybody in the classroom not just the children but also you know from a staffing point of view and if you're shown as an adult that you know it doesn't make you vulnerable to be recognizing that you're not in the place of where you want to be right now and how you're feeling in yourself that's then naturally going to lead to the child feeling comfortable to share that themselves and again it's about building those connections and relationships isn't it yeah definitely definitely um we've got sam in the chat saying good advice beth <laughs> um sam says they know some teachers are very good at building relationships and i think i think beth you've hit the nail on the head if you take time to get to know your learners you're already halfway there if, even at any level whether your children are four years old or whether you know my students are 18 plus it's all about exactly what you're saying beth communication and that relationship isn't it is key definitely fantastic thank you um i feel like you probably covered everything but marie have you got anything to add to that any advice for for teachers or trainee teachers um well just everything that beth said um and you know if you if you actually look at the child um look behind the behavior because all behavior is communication and you the the, the child will will kind of lead you naturally but you know you'll only hear or you'll only find out if you actually truly look and and really learn and listen um and and yeah they'll they'll lead you they'll lead you to the to the right path um you know it, it it's just a, a mixture and a match of everything but as beth's already said at all children you know if they're heated should be able to you know take the blazer off or you know kind of stuff like this you we know as as people we know what it's like when you get hot and you know you you dysregulate um you know the SEND kids will will regulate faster and you know the, the the fallout will be more but i think it's all about being reasonable really looking for the signals and 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 being reasonable and but yeah beth best kind of nailed that one not not a lot to add to that <laughs> no but maria i love that as well about being reasonable like I, I actually just saw a post someone put on facebook yesterday um saying who would prefer if secondary school pupils could just wear a polo shirt and a jumper instead of having to wear blazers we know blazers are obviously a big thing for many secondary schools yeah. um obviously though, there are those that don't have uniform at secondary but the majority i think we're still stuck in this antiquated view of what education is you need to have a blazer I remember at secondary school even in summer you had to wait for the headmaster to give a I think it was called a shirt sleeve order which meant you didn't have to wear your blazer all the time or, or something like you had to wait for permission to not wear your blazer and it's yeah. crazy isn't it like 
It, it absolutely is. And, you know, some of the messages that we get from parents who are struggling with the children um, and all, all, all it does is feeds the anxiety, which results in them, you know, not being able to access school and everybody's on the same side. It's all about making it, just making it work, really being reasonable, making it work. And because if, if a child feels safe and the needs are met, then that's when they're going to learn. They're not going to learn if they're not in an environment where they feel comfortable and they feel heard. Um, it, 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 it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. But I think it's just going back to the basics, really. You know, should a child have to have a, a toilet pass to, to go to the toilet? Um, and, and we get messages all the time. And most of our sessions, I sit with my head in my hands. Um, you know, because actually it's all about being reasonable. Um, whether you're at school, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, in a job, if your needs are met, you're going to perform better. Exactly. Yeah. Even us as adults, you know, 100 yeah. percent. And I think um, back to what you're both saying, but Beth, you just kind of mentioned there that and Maria, she said right at the start, parents are the experts. And I think particularly for any trainee teachers or new teachers, so ECTs, early career teachers, you've maybe only had a year of training to be a teacher and there's no way you can be expected to know every special educational need and disability and Beth as you said everyone's different anyway so one child with autism may not respond to the same strategies as another child with autism so I think what you're both saying is key it's about the partnership because we can't expect teachers we can't put the you know the guilt and the pressure on the teachers they're doing the best they can but where can we communicate better with parents to to ask them for their advice and I think parents are the key players here aren't they like you say they know their child best they know them from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to sleep or you know the minute you start the three-hour battle to get them to go to sleep but so that we just need to really utilize that partnership and too often when I was a primary teacher you waved them off at the door parents weren't allowed in parents weren't sometimes parents weren't allowed in the playground they had to drop them at the gate you know and actually where are we making these boundaries where we need to be dissolving those boundaries for that better partnership to happen um so i can't believe we've only, we've got about six minutes left i wanted to ask you then because you are both amazing at caring for your children caring for other parents and carers you're with your amazing twitter spaces and work you do on socials i'm interested as we're diving into the weekend soon how do you both look after yourselves beth do you want to go first how do you because it must be tough right <laughs> is, it, is it tough and how do you look it's, after yourself it's very tough um when my eldest was about 18 months um when I suddenly realized you know I need I cannot be doing it all and still just keep going and so I started what I've, I've got a hashtag with Beth o'clock and it's my it's now it started as a 10 minute that I just a quick dip in the bath and 10 minutes where I shut, I shut door and I didn't have to be anything but me <laughs> a bubble bath and a book for 10 minutes glorious it's a firm, yeah it's a firm hour and my kids know you know, don't come and knock on the door unless it's somebody's leg has fallen off because this is just, <laughs> this is my sanity saver. I've got my book, my bubbles, my candles, my bath, and I'm just like, just let me breathe for an hour and then I'll come back out to the chaos. I don't care what chaos I come out to because I've had that hour just to reset and recharge and I'll have at it and that's it. But I think also for me, the advocacy side of supporting other families actually 
takes my mind off my own situation so it actually helps me in some kind of perverse way and especially because of the health conditions that i have i have days where you know my pain and things are at a level that are just i'm on the sofa and that's it um so to keep my brain busy with doing things like that really actually does help me so you know that is actually in a in a weird way my kind of self-care to me as well wow i love that you have a great a great soul and a great heart beth i love that and uh yeah i just i hear what you're saying i think if you if you know you have that hour coming up like same for me oh no i'll i can have my children all day i've got three children the same um obviously very different situation for you but if i just know right tonight is going to be yeah the shower or the bath or the takeaway or whatever it kind of gets me through the day totally. focusing on that positive <laughs> <laughs> to def- definitely put things I actually saw a recent NHS advert as well which was saying you know being a parent is hard where can you put things you know even if they're on the horizon just to look forward to I think that's so important thank you Beth and Marie what about you how do you restore after being such a busy mum um as Beth said it's almost impossible I mean you know I, I could have a bath and the bathroom door closed and I've still got my 20 year old shouting through the door <laughs> You know, mom, have you seen my LinkedIn post? I've thought about a solution to get the L12 to link into this via, you know, and he thinks that I'm I'm as, as interested or as knowledgeable as he is. So so it is quite tricky. Um, and you do have to remember to try and do the, the self-care, but it, it's really, really difficult. Another tip I would say is um, from coming from a different angle is to find your tribe. Um, find other parents they might not live in your village um but your your other your your friends who've got typical kids um who haven't got the complexities um it can be very tricky to kind of almost really um link into that for some support because they just don't get it because they don't live it um if you find your tribe i mean you know, that's been absolutely fantastic. So, you know, if I hit an absolute crisis point where, and I still do, you'll still find me, you know, sat there sobbing when, you know, things have just become too much, as strong as I am, and as much as I know the law, and as much as I can advocate for other people, um, you know, it's emotional when it comes to your own children. So reach out to other parents who do get it. And do you know what I love about our Twitter community? And that is the fact that no matter what we're going through, we always make time for each other. Sometimes we can't respond immediately um, because everybody's fighting their own battles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody's stressed to the max. But if you find your tribe, our tribe never let us down. We're all there for each Aww. other. Um, and, and, and that's what I love because two years ago, I, well, I wasn't on Twitter. I didn't know anybody. Um, but just being able to reach out to people who say, actually, you know, yeah, you're right to feel like that. I felt like that because you talk to your other friends and they, they can't they can't actually say that to you. And sometimes as a parent, you can become a bit intolerant of um, the everyday parent who, um, you know, they, they've got lots of positive things to say, you know, their kids go to the proms and they get good reports and they get a star you know we'd be happy with an an, an average or yeah. or yeah. whatever so i think it's finding other people who do get it who have got your back who can tell you it's okay not to be okay 
Oh my goodness, I love that. And, and for anyone who is a part of uh, Beth and Marie's tribe will know what they're talking about. I, I joined your one Twitter space. I hope to join some more. Uh, unfortunately, I was at graduation this week. I couldn't come. But I could see, even just looking back at the engagement, the interactivity shows, like what you two are doing is so valuable because like you say you're relatable you're telling it how it is you're not sugarcoating it and that's what people need particularly when they don't have that tribe offline so just massive kudos to you two for for just being incredible so I guess just before we finish then where can people find you on socials if they want to connect if you're happy to share that if you want to remind us of your twitter handle yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> uh, mine's is um, Beth underscore tastic um, on on Twitter or X. Um, and yeah, I think Marie's is Martina, Martina Marie, but I'm known as Send Warrior on Making a Difference. Um, we're trying to get the hang of TikTok. We're not very successful. I think we're a bit too old. Um, oh, wow. Oh, I look forward to this. I didn't know that was happening. <laughs> um, if you want to look at Zach's travels um, over on LinkedIn, I'm Marie Martin. Um, I think if you, even if you just Google me now, um, I, I, I think, yeah, I think it's pretty easy to find us. Um, but yeah, um, come and join us. Come and join the sessions. Are we allowed to say what the session's called for people to find us? Yeah, please tell us the session. Oh, okay. We were a bit worried uh, about sort of advertising. So our sessions are live sessions on Twitter spaces. They're called Sharing the Load as an Unpaid Carer. Sometimes we pop with those who get it. We run them every Friday morning at 10.30 a.m. Unless we've got, like today, we're, we've come here um, to, to chat here. So we started doing some on a um, Wednesday evening at 7.30. They're all recorded as well. So for people, Brilliant. you can join live if you're not available during the day on the Wednesday evening ones. They're always pinned to the top of our pages. And if you're following us, you'll probably get sick of us sharing them because we just <laughs> need, to, we need to reach the people who we've not reached yet because yeah. to turn somebody's journey around from coming on, sobbing down the phone, not knowing which way to turn, to sending us you know, when you've empowered them of, of, you know, them coming back on a couple of months later to a huge success stories, how they've managed to turn things around. And it's wow. just brilliant. You know, we, we, well, I think you can hear it in our voices. We just love it. It's become our absolute passion. And, and, you know, Beth's like my twin. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it really is. It's just making a difference for others and growing it. So it becomes, everyday occurrence for these for our children to to have their best futures so wonderful oh my goodness and just yeah sorry to um beth and marie's tribe who unfortunately couldn't have their space this morning um but we're so grateful for you to giving it coming giving up your time on teachers talk radio instead and we will be sharing this as a podcast episode as well in case you missed the start of the session today uh, but yeah just get involved with them and i think that's where social media comes into its own because even the Twitter space um, that I joined of yours recently, people don't have to speak. Sometimes you just want to listen and just know you're part of something bigger. So do come along, listen into them. You you know, if you just want to listen and feel like you're with people that get it, come along and yeah, just keep doing your great work, ladies. I'm in awe of you both. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'll keep following your journeys and your TikToks <laughs> and uh, maybe have you back on, on the show in a few months time to hear how things are going. Oh, we'd love that. Thank you so much. And thank you for the invite. We've really enjoyed it. Oh, I knew you'd be amazing. <laughs>
You've been absolutely fabulous. I wish you both a wonderful weekend. Beth, make sure you get that bath and that book later. Oh, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you all have a good weekend as well. Thank you. Thank you both so much. And to everyone listening, that is the end of our show. Time flies when you're having fun. It's gone so quickly today. But join me again soon with some more guests uh, to help educate and inspire us. And wishing you all a great weekend. I'm off um, to make a hot chocolate, I think. And uh, I'm going to snuggle up with the dog and some reading myself. But wishing you all the best. Look after yourself. Stay warm and be back very, very soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.